This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Mets with a 2-1 lead over the Buccos after two innings of play at City Field. So, you know, that's progress compared to being down 6-0 right out of the gate like they were last night. And our Thursday night football game is going to be kicking off in just a little bit. Real quick on the Yankees, though, j- just to finish up. And, of course, they have the night off. They'll start it up with Milwaukee coming up tomorrow. And they've won 8 out of 10. They're playing some good baseball here. We talked about Glaber and how well he's swinging the bat. Judge is judge. But Aaron Boone was on today in his weekly spot with the Michael K Show, which is every Thursday at 4 o'clock. And, of course, the topic of Aaron Judge came up. And he's at 57 home runs right now. He is five away from setting the American League record, which is like rarefied air. He's got 19 games to do it. And Booney was asked by the guys if he thinks that Judge will indeed make history. I think he will. Um, I, I don't know that I've seen anything like this up close. Um, you know, obviously I played against Bonds going through that. <laughs> um, you know, I, but again, in, in context, I you know, I just think it's, incredible i mean i mean and i i think i've said to you guys before and i tell aaron every now and then i think i take him for granted because i feel like there's been games we come in and we're standing i always stand next to him when we when we win a game and we do our you know our little belt ceremony that we do after the game and you know he could have a game where he went like one for two with a couple of walks and i'm like man i felt like he didn't have that good of a game <laughs> it's like you know, I, I take him for granted sometimes. Yeah, take that comment, though, with a grain of salt, right? Because, I mean, what is Boone supposed to say? I mean, it's his guy. I mean, the Yankees aren't in first place without Aaron Judge, which means, you know, Boone is probably even more on the hot seat if his team isn't in first place. So if they're asking him a question that, you know, do you think that he's going to break the record? Of course he's going to say yes. What is he going to say no? I mean, if he says no, then that could mean bad things for the offense moving forward. That means he's not hitting home runs. Not that Judge has to hit home runs to impact this team, but you get the point. I think he's going to do it. You know what would be ideal is if the Yankees get to a position sometime over the next two and a half weeks to where you can actually give Judge a day off. You know, where they have a comfortable enough lead in the division. They have that thing sewn away pretty good to where you want to get him as many. It's, see, it's like a fine line because you want to get him as many at-bats as possible to break this record, but you also want to make sure he's fresh come playoff time because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Judge could win an MVP this year, which he should, should. I didn't say he will, he should. But he could win a Most Valuable Player Award, set the home run record, and guys, we've been at this long enough. You know and I know that if the Yankees get to the playoffs and they are a quick exit and Judge goes like one for October, you know and I know we're going to be sitting here doing this show and people are going to be ripping them left and right. Left and right. I wouldn't pay this guy whatever he wants. Let him go walk. Let him go to the Giants. Let him go to the Red Sox. Let him go to the Cubs, wherever. But he ain't clutch, and he's not good enough. That's what the fallout is going to be. So you might as well rest this guy and give him every chance possible to have his best October because that's what he's going to be remembered for even more than setting a record or winning an MVP. Mark my words. If the Yankees struggle in October, don't win a series, judge doesn't hit, the regular season is going to mean nothing, at least in the minds of most. Should Judge be the AL MVP, Aaron? I get it. I mean, Otani is – it's unreal what he's doing on both sides of the ball. But, um, you know, when I look at what Aaron Judge is doing this year 
and again, I, I it's it's in context of the rest of the league. I mean, he's got an 1100 OPS, and everyone else is, you know, Goldschmidt's probably within a hundred of that or so, but everyone else is low 900s, 57 homers. The next guy's 37. You know, he's stealing bases. He's playing center field. He's gotten big hit after big hit. I mean, he's he's everything an MVP would ever be. And and uh, so, yes, it is hard to, for me to envision him not winning the award. Again, what is he supposed to say? No? Like, ah, oh, you know, I gotta, I'm got. i going to give it to Otani. He's got to be the guy. If the voters have sanity and are of sound mind, Judge will win the MVP. But then, of course, everything and every question is going to be directed towards, well, what's going to happen at the end of the year? Are the Yankees going to re-sign him? Is he coming back or not? And so Boone was asked about the possibility of Judge leaving. Have you allowed yourself to think that he might not be back next year? Have you let your mind go there? No, I don't go there. <laughs> Do you think he think will be back? That. Do you think he will be I back? I sure hope so. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> All right, let's get into the psychology of it. Right? Because think of it. That didn't sound very definitive to me. Sound that way to you? Because I would think that if he if he was confident that Judge was going to resign, maybe he had some inside information or, or whatever, had these long, deep conversations with him, you know, on a plane trip or a bus ride or, or whatever, he would maybe give you an answer like, oh, well, you know what, I'm not worrying. Yeah, we'll worry about that stuff in the offseason. But I, I, I'd like to think that he is indeed going to be back with us. You didn't get that answer. He was like, I, I don't want to think about it. I, I, I don't want to go there. I, I, I hope not. I, right? I, I mean, there was a little bit of uncertainty there. So he answered the question honestly, and you appreciate that, instead of just giving you the same cold, you know, cliched response. And there's, look, guys, there's a legit possibility that he leaves. No matter what the season and how it plays out. Because we're talking about big money. And he's not giving the Yankees a hometown discount. You could guarantee yourself that because if he was going to give the Yankees any sort of a discount, he would have put pen to paper back in April. And he wouldn't have turned down $213 million. $213 million is not chump change. I, I believe you can live off of $213 million. I believe you can. So if Judge didn't sign that contract and he bet on himself and he goes out there and has the season that he's having, he wants to get paid. Paid. And will the Yankees do it? Because other than Garrett Cole, who was the guy that the free agent, free agent, who was the guy the Yankees in recent years have gone out there and given a massive $300 million contract to? Who? Because it's going to take $300 million to bring Judge back. He's probably looking for something in the seven to eight year range. I wouldn't give him 10. 10 is insane for his age. Because you're going to get diminishing returns on the end of that. And lastly, I thought this was interesting, too. I don't know if you saw this. Jordan Montgomery, who, of course, has you know, had a new lease on life since getting traded to the Cardinals. Harrison Bader, by the way, is still in the minor leagues trying to find his way back. But, you know, Montgomery has, you know, had maybe a couple of return-to-form starts, if you will, of late. You know, he hasn't been as dominant that he was the first four or five starts with the Cardinals. And he made some comments... I forgot who he was doing the interview with, but he said, you know, well, 
you know, some of the, they asked him, well, what do you think the difference is? What can you attribute the difference as to why you're pitching so well now as a member of the Cardinals? And he said, well, you know, I'm throwing my fastball a lot more. When I was with the Yankees, they didn't trust me throwing that fastball. They didn't believe in that pitch. Well, okay. So they asked Aaron Boone about the comments that Jordan Montgomery made. Do you think some of those comments by Jordan are a little unfair? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, uh, Monty's been a really good pitcher for us. And, uh, you know, and he's gone there and, and had a good start to his Cardinal career, you know, pitching in a, you know, in a large ballpark in the National League Central, which frankly is a different animal than pitching in the American League East. So, um, you know, I always liked when, when Monty threw his heater. So when, when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. But look, I think it's probably something that, you know, the, the, the actual quote gets a little bit overblown. Um, Monty was an excellent pitcher for us. We'll continue to be one moving forward. Um, and, and frankly, I, I hope he continues to do well. I do wish him very well, especially in the National League. I'll tell you, it's also going to can, – can you imagine a situation, too, if the Yankees have an early exit in October and the Cardinals go on a run, which, by the way, I would not put past them at all. They're the Cardinals. The Cardinals always seem to find a way to figure things out. Always. When you least expect it, the Cardinals go, to a, you know, go on a run in October, whether to the World Series or at least the, the League Championship Series. And I could easily see that happening again. But can you imagine if that happens where, you know, Yankees are done, Cardinals play deep into, into the month of October, and Jordan Montgomery is, is playing a pivotal role in their success? That apple cider ain't going to go down too well. I can promise you that. John in Maplewood is up next, 98.7 ESPN. Johnny, how are you? Good. How are you? What's up, John? Um, not, not, a, not a baseball fan, so I guess a little bit of a grain of salt here. But my point, I, I think the format is ridiculous and boring. But um, aside from that. Wait, say again. I don't, I don't um, say, what, what are you talking about? I don't understand. I'm not a baseball fan. I, I, I can't watch it and, and the, um, the, the, the format of how long the season is. Oh, okay. Uh, and the, the ebbs and flows is just ridiculous. So, you're, so you – let me well, – I'm just curious, though, because like you said, you're not a huge baseball fan, and, and baseball's experimented with a lot of things. Remember, they're changing some rules next year to try to rope in some more casual fans. Do you think if the season was shorter – and when I say shorter, I mean – 144. If they played 144 games, is that still too long for you to actually be engaged? Oh, totally too long. Too much. Yeah, okay. It's, it's an old, it's an old man sport. That's why. Gotcha. Know, the, the baseball fans are, are and, and I'm 60, and and <laughs> well, I don't even like. It. There you go. You know what? John's calling baseball a an old man sport at the age of 60. God bless you, John. God bless you. Yeah. Well. Yep. I still think I'm 30, but you know, whatever. But anyway. Um, your point about Aaron Judge and this whole thing uh, about October and everything else, I you know I, I I learn a lot about baseball listening to you, listening to all the, the shows. So um, I completely agree with what you're saying. My point here is, shouldn't he be looked at as kind of uh, um, a, a failure, so to speak, um, if he doesn't come through when it counts in the playoffs? I mean, we look at the Buffalo Bills, right? and laugh at them for their four Super Bowls. But you know what, John, in hindsight, uh, that to me is one of the most awesome accomplishments like in, in, in team sports history. Like, think, like, you know how hard it is to go to like one Super Bowl? They went to four in a row. You know how incredibly difficult agree. that is? All, all kidding aside, it's, it's really incredible. 
completely agree. Completely agree. But what about Judge? I mean, if if he um, is nothing when it when it counts in the playoffs, who cares about his season? It's intri- That's why I brought up the point, John. And I and I thank you for the yeah, phone call. I agree you, with you. You get back yeah, to us. I, I I appreciate your comments. And you know what? I'll respond to those when I come back. Because think about it for a second, right? And I've spoken about this many, many times, not just in baseball, but with all team sports. If Aaron Judge wins an MVP, breaks Roger Maris's record, but yet is very disappointing and underachieves in October, and that contributes to the Yankees having a short stay in the playoffs, is his season viewed as a disappointment? I'll give you my answer and my take when we come back, and we want to hear from you. It's Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN on this Thursday. We're going to talk to Greg Buttle coming up in just a little bit. Little Jets-Browns conversation. We'll talk to Jordan Renan coming up at 9 o'clock as we preview Big Blue and their home opener this week against the Carolina Panthers. So, previous caller, you know, we were talking about the prospect of what would happen if Judge has a bad postseason, despite the fact he could win an MVP and he's going to possibly break Roger Maris's record, the all-time American League home run record. But we'll leave a sour taste 
if he underperforms in the playoffs? Like, is that all he's going to be remembered by? And and can you imagine if, furthermore, can you imagine if that happens and then he walks out of town and leaves as a free agent and goes sign with another club? Yes, October matters. Yes, the playoffs matter. And all sports, not just baseball. But you also have to take a step back from the situation. And, and what I'd like to say about it is you play 162 games, right? That's a lot of inventory. A lot of inventory. So 162 in the regular season. And let's just, you know, f- for argument's sake, let's say the Yankees play. I'll give them a round. How about that? You know, we'll say the Yankees will win a round and then they'll lose in the ALCS. I'm just. So let's say they play 10 playoff games. 10. 162 in the regular season, 10 in the playoffs. The 10 in the playoffs might be the ones that are the most important. But if you're going to go back and you're evaluating this guy's body of work, 162 of the uh, of the 172 that the Yankees played, this dude was the MVP of the league, and he raked. Now take a step back and translate that to a guy's entire career. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because like far too often when we talk legacies and we talk about how good of a player was and and all these other things, Far too much emphasis is put on the playoffs. Like some of the great players of all time in any sport, people want to be like, oh, well, yeah, he only he only, he, he never, he only won one Super Bowl. They never won a Super Bowl. They didn't get to a Super Bowl. Yeah, well, what about all those regular season games the guy played? How about how brilliant he was in the playoffs? Or, I mean, how brilliant he was all those times in the regular season? That doesn't count? That is the majority of what you put on tape. That is the majority of what people see from you. Like, I go back, you know, John Elway is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And if you missed his career, if you didn't get a chance to watch him play, I feel bad for you. He was great. As physically gifted a player as maybe we've ever seen play the quarterback position. That's how talented he was. Like, Tom Brady has only like 10% of John Elway's athletic ability when it comes to playing quarterback. Mobility, arm strength, you know, you name anything. Okay. John Elway is a a much better athlete. Anyway, back in the 80s, when Dan Reeves was his coach with the Denver Broncos, John Elway took Denver to three Super Bowls in a four-year period. And they got waxed in every single one of them. Giants in 86, Washington in 87, and the 49ers in 89. Got annihilated. They actually had a halftime lead against the the Giants in that first Super Bowl, but then things went south. And then Washington, they got blitzed in the second quarter when they scored 35 points on them. And then the 49er game, they lost 55-10. to 10. They were never in that game from the jump. But John Elway had won a league MVP during that stretch. He was going to the Pro Bowl every year. He was a phenomenal quarterback. So that was in, like, by 1989. He was 0-3 in the Super Bowl. And yet... It still took another eight years after that for him to get back to a Super Bowl. And at that point in time, he was a shell of the quarterback that he used to be. And Mike Shanahan came over and and, and took over as the coach in Denver. They drafted some running back by the name of Terrell Davis, give him a competent running game. And all of a sudden, he didn't have to do as much. And he had a talented team around them because those earlier Denver teams, he took them to the Super Bowl on his back. They were literally like his teams. And now he had a better supporting cast. Point I'm trying to make is 
People would sit there and actually throw cold water on John Elway's accomplishments as a three-time Super Bowl loser and said he wasn't clutch enough. He never won the big one. And then all of a sudden he won those back-to-back Super Bowls when he was not even, like I said, half the quarterback that he used to be. But just because now his career says he's a two-time Super Bowl champ, it was almost like you look at it and people were looking at it completely differently. And that was so unfair to me. And it happens to a lot of athletes, right? The overwhelming majority of the games you play are not going to be playoff games. That is what you're evaluated on. When you're voting somebody into the Hall of Fame, you're looking 95% of their body of work is regular season. So we're really going to hold it to a guy if he maybe has a bad couple of weeks compared to a real good six months? That's why, like, for example, in the in college basketball, the NCAA tournament, when we get to March and all that stuff, I hate conference tournaments. Hate them. They're money grabs. They're made for TV. That's all they are. But, for example, you can have, like, a mid-major conference, right, where you're only getting one team into the tournament, and that's the team that wins their conference tournament. You can have the team that's in first place at the end of the regular season. They've been the best team over a four-month stretch, but if they have one bad night in the gym and they get upset by somebody, they don't get to go to the tournament. And you can have a team that finished, like, in last. They were garbage for four months, but if they get hot over, like, a four-day period, they get rewarded with a trip to the tournament. That's not fair. Where you shouldn't evaluate what a guy does during a tiny sample size in the playoffs versus what they do over a much larger sample in the regular season. Mike in New Jersey up next, 98.7 ESPN. Michael, how are you? Good, how are you? What's up, Mike? Hey, I um, listen, I mean, I think Aaron Judge has been uh, stellar, nothing short of it. Um, my concern as a Yankee fan, though, is, uh, you know, paying him out is it going to be at the expense of future seasons? You know, I don't want to look like the East Coast Angels. Right. You know, they got Trout, they got Otani, who are doing amazing things. I mean, you know, I almost feel like a kid back uh, in the late 90s again, you know, with some of the stuff that's been going on this year. Um, but I think he's got to go. I think we got to let him walk regardless of what, what happens this fall. And uh, we have to start investing back in pitching and just, um, you know, getting back to basics. Cause well, you, well, Mike, you make it sound like as if you don't even want to entertain negotiations. I, I think what you're trying to say, and maybe I'm reading it wrong, you want him back but only on terms that are going to benefit the Yankees, right? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is, is the offer that they made earlier this spring was already pretty hefty. And for him to just shoot it down, you know, that says a lot. So, you know, where do you draw the line and, and still be, you know, you know, conservative enough that you can invest in the future of the team? Because obviously we have holes that need to be uh, that need to be filled. You know, that's, well, that's just outside looking in. Well, two things with that, Mike, and thanks for the phone call. Here's where I'm looking at it. Terms that are responsible for the Yankees have nothing to do with dollars. They're more geared towards years. Yankees can absorb the money. But you can't have you can't give him a ten year contract because he's going to be forty years old when it's over. Maybe he thinks and he has his agents telling him that he thinks he could get ten years and there's going to be some guy who you know some or some team rather that's going to bite the bullet and give him ten years because they're that desperate. That's what the Angels did with Pujols once upon a time. They overpaid him way too long, and then you had diminishing returns on the back end. That's what you don't want to get saddled with. 
If you tell me, Judge, if you can get pen to paper on a seven-year contract, which I think is fair, and I think that in seven years he's still going to be somewhat productive, give him a high AAV. You know, give him seven years. If you put seven years to... Seven years, 250 plus an option on the table. Is he walking away from that? The only way I think he'd walk away from that is if another team came at him and guaranteed an eighth year for similar money. Because they want the security. Of course they want the contract to be as long as possible. If you tell somebody that you're going to give him a contract for eight years, they're going to take it. Because even if he's not performing at that time, he's still going to get paid a ton of money. Pay him. Pay that man his money. But it's easier said than done. The length of the contract, to me, I think is more critical from a Yankee perspective than even what the dollars are. And the other thing is, too, at the end of the day, the Yankees are going to have to look themselves in the mirror at some point and say to themselves, we're the New York Yankees. You know, stop pinching pennies. Stop being so cost conscious. Stop worrying about the damn luxury tax and actually go out there and start to act like the Yankees. Subi in Midtown, up next, 98.7 ESPN. What's up, Sub? Hey, Dan. Yeah, just regarding Judge, I remember yesterday uh, you talked about Judge and Bonds. I think Bonds' uh, record is stable just because he wasn't uh, tested during that season. So Judge has a case um, for saying that Bonds' record is legitimate. But then regarding Judge and his postseason play, um, you know, Jeter made his money because of the postseason. During the regular season, he was a great player, but not the best. So I think with Judge, you have to set the same standard. With the postseason, if he underperforms, I think mentally you've got to let him go just because he's not going to be there mentally for the next season. I think that's going to be a big hit on his ego. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that's the case, Subi. And, and the thing about Jeter, Jeter was like the best of both worlds. Was Jeter like a you know the best player in baseball during the regular season? No. But he was as clutch as clutch could be. Remember, if, if, if Derek Jeter, right, like we always talk about this a lot, like woulda, coulda, shoulda if this happened, but it didn't. If Derek Jeter spent his whole career with the Pittsburgh Pirates and not the Yankees and never had a chance to play in the World Series, he still would have gone to the Hall of Fame. He had 3,000 hits, right? 3,000 hits, you're going to the Hall of Fame. He might not have been as revered a player. I'm sure that he would not have been as popular a player. You know, he wouldn't have been as in, in as many commercials and all those other things. He was in playing in Pittsburgh. But he still would have found his way to Cooperstown because the talent was there. And when you combine the talent with the opportunities to thrive on the big stage, that's how you get Jeter and his legacy and his iconic status. Speaking of iconic status... The great Greg Buttle, my partner on Jets pre and post, he will join us. Coming up next, talk a little Jets-Browns this Sunday, week two. Jets hit the road. We'll talk to Greg coming up next. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Welcome back to the Dan Grasso Show on this busy Thursday night on 98.7 ESPN. And once again, we bring in our good pal. You know him as my partner on the Jets pre and post game show right here on 98.7 each and every week. 
Jets, of course, will try to get in the win column for the first time this season. They take on the Browns on Sunday, and I will be doing said pre- and post-game show with none other than Jet linebacker royalty himself and a member of the National Rowing Hall of Fame. It's Greg Buttle. Hello, Greg. How are you? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's a nice intro, right? It's. I mean, let, let me be honest with you. I don't care who I have on this show. Nobody is going to be introduced as a member of the National Rowing Hall of Fame other than yourself. That's correct. I, I, I'm fine with that, though. Let's get I right. had a great time while uh, doing it. Of course you did. Of course you did. And you should be proud of such a distinction. Um, let's get right into business here. I- I'm sure you've uh, heard the comments from a couple of days ago made by the head coach in regards to all the naysayers that are out there, whether it's media, whether it's fans, critics. And he says, we're keeping receipts. We're going to have the last laugh when it's all said and done. As a former player, you feed off of that stuff? I love it. Are you kidding me? I think it's great. It's great for the players. I mean, come on. You know what? No matter how poorly or uh, how indifferent a player plays, they they know that the coach has them in uh, has their their back. And and I think that's important, especially nowadays when you talk about players and their loyalty to teams and and building a locker room. Which don't don't downplay building a locker room. That's huge in the NFL. So. I think he, I think there was nothing wrong with it, and, um, and listen, not, not everyone's going to be a, a drab to listen to when you, when you do a press conference. So I, I didn't think anything was wrong with that. And at the end of the day, you are going to be judged by wins and losses, and, and you know that as well as anybody here. So even though we're getting ready for this next game on Sunday in Cleveland, and we'll get to that in a second, though, looking back one last time on the Baltimore game, what was the overwhelming positive that you took out of that from a Jets standpoint? Uh, well, the, the positive that that I could I could tell you was in your face is that a you're, you're playing Lamar Jackson and from all indications I don't know that he's injured. Do you know that he's injured? No, he's not injured. No. And so what does he do? The the the, the most prolific running quarterback in the NFL gained 17 yards. He single-handedly beats teams. Now that being said, he didn't do anything in the running game, and I thought that was spectacular. Other than the Jets' two mental errors in the back end on defense, and uh, I've got to identify the safeties. Those are the guys responsible way deep. Uh, I thought that they played a very nice football game. Uh, they were they were doing everything they could to stay in the football game. Two mental errors and a really good play, good throw by Lamar Jackson, uh, I thought was you know the turning points of what was going on. You cannot win in this league without scoring points. And, you know, not just Lamar Jackson. I mean, Baltimore was the basically the number one rushing offense in the NFL for the last three seasons. And apart from just Lamar, I mean, they shut that team down on the ground, as you said. And I think there were a lot of pluses from the defense all throughout the afternoon to the point where if they give that type of an effort defensively again on Sunday, you figure they're going to put themselves in a position to win the game again, no? Uh, well, I would I would certainly think that. Listen, going into the uh, halfway through the third quarter, you're down ten three. Your offense has turned the ball over. Your offense has missed a field goal. So you're you're looking at this and saying, hey, that's pretty good. Then all hell broke loose, of course. And uh, now it's seventeen three, and then uh, now it's it's twenty four three, and you're going, geez, how are we going to make this thing turn around? And it's very difficult when your offense is having loads of problems. Uh, right from the right from the get go, right from the fifteen scripted plays they started with, they were having problems. Joe Flacco mixed results certainly in week number one. Um, 
had to put the ball up a lot 59 times. That number got kind of skewed, of course, because the game was out of hand in the fourth quarter and they were just throwing, so those numbers went up there. But how much better a version of Joe Flacco can you expect to see on Sunday in Cleveland? Well, I don't expect anything, to be honest with you. I, I don't I don't know that uh, that Joe Flacco is, is what he used to be. I, he, he certainly is is less mobile than he was. Even if he wasn't mobile, he's less mobile. And um, I, I think that there's got to be a, a different type of um, play on the offense. Uh, again, when he's just a drop-back quarterback, he's not one of – he's not Zach Wilson going to run out of there. He's not even Michael White, who who has pretty good feet. But So you've got to be prepared for these are the things that are going to bother you. So what do you do? You keep another tight end into block. You have blitz pickup. How many – what do you do? You walk around with one back. How many – I don't know what the personnel that they're going to use with Joe Flacco. Now that being said, uh, he's got plenty. Uh, he had plenty of chances to, to get things done right. Um, they called 59 pass plays, and uh, and maybe they called more pass plays, but he only threw it 59 right. times. That, but that, the, the point being is that is that I had no problem with the 59 pass plays. I just I just think there was a a lot of rust on on that. Uh, that, that quarterback during the game, and maybe he's going to eject the rust for this week. I don't know. And the offensive line, you know, on the left side specifically, that's where it was maybe springing some leaks a little bit. We know that George Fant was shuttling back from the left to the right to the left to the right, like all camp, so maybe he was a little bit on the rusty side. Lakin Tomlinson probably didn't have his best day at the left guard position. This is a guy who knows the system, was a pro bowler last year. Um I would think that those two guys who are veterans with at least another week under their belt of practice, one game of experience under their belts, you expect those holes to maybe be secured a little bit come Sunday. Well, I, I, I think so. And uh, there, there's, there's, uh, there was a lot to be said about pressure. I mean, uh, I, I think in the first 15 scripted plays, they had four pressures. I mean, that's a lot of pressures in 15 plays. Uh, so you, you, maybe it was because of, uh, of of the fact that you had a backup offensive tackle in there, Max Mitchell. Maybe, maybe that's the, the the problem. I didn't think, you know, out of one side of my face, I didn't think the offensive line played as poorly as it as it turned out to be. I, I, there were plays that uh, Flacco just he didn't drop back far enough, mm-hmm. and yet. They're the first guy's not open, and if the first guy's not open. He's got people at his feet, and now that that, that causes them to ha- have a tough throw. So a lot of times it may or may not have been on the offensive line, but there was enough out there that was on the offensive line that it would raise eyebrows. That's all. Talking Jets with our pal Greg Buttle here on 98.7 ESPN. We know that you're a big proponent of the tight end. You've been talking them up all preseason, even before last Sunday's game. And, you know, they didn't really factor in all that much to the offense, despite the fact Tyler Conklin scored the only touchdown for them. Is that another area or an area that you once again expect to see a little bit more involvement in come the passing game on Sunday? Well, I, 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 I absolutely do. But again, if, if you're going to take tight ends to keep it, keep them in to block in the chip, you know, your, your passing game to the tight ends is going to be nil. I mean, I think they threw seven balls to the tight ends. Uh, I, I think it was seven. I'm not, I'd have to go back and look at the stuff. But you, you, you've got to be able to do that. If you have those tight ends, and boy, they're pretty good, all of them. C.J. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uzama, he's, he had one thrown to him. Yeah, he I barely mean, played. I think it. 
Right. So to me, I think that the packages that they, after the first 15 plays scripted, the packages changed a little, and uh, maybe they, they, they shut it down what, what that offense is meant to do uh, for the number of reasons and some of the reasons that we just talk, spoke about. But I, I don't believe that, that the Jets, nor any football team in the NFL, can rely on the running game. To, to score points. I just don't believe it. So if you fall behind in a football game and you want to still bang it up in there when it's 21-3, you're wasting a lot of clock. You're wasting a lot of time. And everybody on the other side of the line of scrimmage is sitting there laughing, going, keep running the ball. Just keep running the ball. And, it, again, you're going to have to score points through the air and score quickly. And I think that's everything that they have to look at. The red zone for them was, was, wasn't good. No. So third down was terrible for the Jets' offense. And, and all of these little things that keep adding up, next thing you know, is it was 24-3 at the, at the end of the game. You know, you speak about running the football, and when you look at this Cleveland Browns team, that's their M.O., despite the fact, you know, they're playing with a backup quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. They're not going to ask him to win the game for them through the air. This is a team that runs the football, and they ran it for over 200 yards last week against Carolina. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, those are two quality backs. I know you're not a proponent of it from an offensive standpoint, but when you look at this from a defensive side of things for the Jets, they're probably going to have to stop the run, and if they stop the run, I think that plays into their hands great because then you're asking Jacoby Brissett to beat you. Well, I, I just I, I think that's that's pretty good. I mean, uh, that's not bad logic, certainly, but it's just like anything else, Dan. You, uh, you know, in, in, in football, you know, to be complimentary, you've got to have a defense that's going to get the offense off the field in three or four plays, and then your offense has to score some points. It can't be three and out, 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 punt, 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 punt. You can't do that. I don't care. So if that's the case where your football team is running the ball, and running it well, and they can't stop you from running the ball, well, then I, I, I look at a game that would end up being a close game. But then you've got to score points. You've got to come back and score points again. Keep running and keep running. Game's over. Mm-hmm. So you have to have points on the board. That's all I'm saying. I don't remember if we got a call during the postgame show on Sunday, but I know I've gotten several calls this week from fans inquiring about Garrett Wilson, the rookie. Why, has, why didn't he play more? On Sunday afternoon, you know, he was sparingly used early in the game and then he got in there, you know, in the second half and got a lot of reps when the team was trying to come from behind. And then Mike LaFleur says today when meeting with the media, you know, that question was posed to him and he kind of circled back to the whole thing that we heard involving Denzel Mims last year that, well, Garrett's got to learn all the wide receiver positions in the playbook and so on and so forth. Could it be a case of where maybe they're asking these wide receivers to do too much, to absorb too much? Because I would think, why not get your most talented players out on the field, no? You know, Dan, I, I, can't, I, can't, I, I can't grasp the fact that a player doesn't know all the positions. I, I, you can know all your positions. You may not know what the offensive tackle's doing. Mm-hmm. You know receivers are supposed to do the running backs certainly know what the running backs are supposed to do so to me i i don't I, I just don't i don't buy players that can't learn positions I, I there's too much film there's too much information for them not to not to have that done i don't know what they do during the week but if that's a case where he doesn't know what to do then he's only limited to a few packages that you can put him on the field with because now you're going to say well he's supposed to take a three-step and move and he went five 
Well, that timing is all off. The quarterback hugs the ball. Next thing, the lineman on his feet. So, so all of those things become very important. When you don't run like an oiled machine offensively, you're going to see the game that you saw last week. And you hope that that's not an obstacle, though, because, again, he's obviously one of your better players, one of your more talented players, and you hope that he could be out there more often than not because I think that it gives the offense a better chance of being successful, certainly. So we'll see how that plays out in terms of the snap count and the playing time coming up on Sunday. Uh, before I let you go, and I know that you have big things to do this evening, uh, I'm sure that you you took a notice and saw who's going to be kicking tonight in the Thursday night game for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's your boy, who you talk up constantly, Matt Amendola, who's getting called up from the practice squad to kick for the Chiefs because their normal kicker is injured. So how about that? i I got to tell you something. I, I, I love Matt Amendola. The guy could punt as well as a punter. He could kick off. He, can, he hits the ball 70 yards. He could kick a 70-yard field goal and not even, not even breathe hard. But, I mean, again, like anything else, these guys, they have to be ready. So... Hey, Kansas City might be in for uh, a rude awakening. Or, hey, listen, the world may, may find out that Amendola now, he's got his head on right. He can kick well. He can kick inside the 40-yard 40 40 yard marker and not miss him. So just like anything else, if you give somebody a chance and they keep working at it, Maybe he'll come out. I wish him all the best. Right, he's probably going to go four for four, including the game winner. That's probably how it's going to go. <laughs> and the Jets are still looking for a reliable kicker, even after all these years. That's tough. That's probably what's going to happen. Uh, thank you so much, my yeah. friend, for hopping on, uh, and I will talk to you again on Sunday. You got it, Dr. Grosser. I'll see you later. Thank you, sir. That is Greg Buttle, outstanding uh, Jet linebacker, member of the National Rowing Hall of Fame, and, of course, my partner on uh, Jets pre- and post-game, which our coverage begins, as always, Sunday morning at 11 a.m. before Jets and the Browns. Still more to come. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. It's the Dan Grasso Show on this busy Thursday right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>